This morning's scripture reading is Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. In this blessing then, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. These are the words of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. This service last weekend was kind of wild, so I'm kind of going to brace myself here. Uh, you guys were a little bit out of control. Actually, I, I was, huh? Was it me? Oh my goodness, because I get warmed up. This is the third service, so I'm excited you're here. Book of Romans, we're working our way through it, how the gospel changes everything. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Romans 1.16, nothing can transform a human heart, heal a wounded soul, or satisfy our deepest longing like the gospel. If you're going through a battle, I'm glad you're here because uh, that last song we sang was a battle song. Did you hear the words? It's from Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Battle song, I love it. And so we're going to talk about the anatomy of our faith because that's what you need. If you're going through a battle, you need to understand the anatomy of faith and that will fortify your faith unlike anything else, the anatomy of faith. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 4. So I shared with you one of my favorite movies last weekend, Chariots of Fire. Here's another one of my favorites, top, one of my top five movies. It's Braveheart. Any Braveheart people out there? Yep, yep, yep. There's a scene in the movie where William Wallace is rallying all of Scotland all the young men of Scotland, young men, old men alike, and they're on the battlefield. They're getting ready to face off, square off with the English oppressors. He's on his horse. He's giving him one of those big rah-rah cheer speeches and trying to rally them as they're going to face a pretty harsh battle. 
to push back their oppressors. And at the very end of the speech, and you notice that he's, his, face, his face is all painted blue and he's on the horse and he's just, it's one of those like energizing speeches. At the end, very end of the speech, he says, they can take our lives, but they can't take our freedom. And when I hear that, I want to paint my face blue and go out <laughs> and kick down the gates of hell. Uh, and so it's kind of one of those things, like that last song we just sang in our worship set. It's just like, yes, bring it on. I'm ready to take it on. And so that's what we're talking about here, the anatomy of faith. How do you get a group of soldiers to charge into battle against all odds? A ritual boast. That's how you do it. In ancient times, it was a ritual before going into battle. So here's what's interesting about boasting. Boasting comes up more often in the Bible than you may think, and it's characteristic of every human heart. We all boast. Everybody will boast in something or someone there's a kind of bad boasting that comes between you and God, and there's a kind of good boasting that draws you near to God. We, we see that actually, 1 Samuel chapter 17, I went back, it had been a while since I read the story of David and Goliath, that's a good read. I went back and read it, and uh, that'll, that'll get you rolling too, that'll get you stirred up. But remember, David, young David comes into the camp there, and the, all, the whole Israelite army is being, they're, they're intimidated by the taunting of Goliath. He's just taunting them. He's bragging. He's boasting. And David says something quite interesting there. He says, how dare this uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of the living God? Yeah. And of course, you know the rest of the story. He takes the guy's head off. And it's just pretty, one of those energizing kind of a thing. And so you can see kind of bad boasting, good boasting, bad boasting, Goliath, good boasting in David. And so take a look at your sermon notes here. Life is a battle full of sin and suffering. None of us are exempt. How are you going to move out into the battle with confidence and overcome the insurmountable odds? We've got to learn to practice appropriate boasting, a.k.a. preach the gospel to yourself. So this morning, I'm going to teach you how to do appropriate trash talking. You guys ready? Yeah, I'm going to teach you how to do some appropriate trash talking, boasting. Now, as we've been working our way through uh, Romans, the second part of chapter 3 we discovered the greatest gift that we will ever receive. In the midst of our world of sin and suffering, is there any hope? Well, there is hope. The hope is found in Christ. It's not found in us trying to figure it out because we'll never get it figured out. But the hope is in Christ. And the greatest gift you'll ever receive is what we talked about last week. We are justified freely by faith through the blood of Christ. That's what we need to overcome the sin and suffering of our world. We are justified freely by faith through the blood of Christ. So last week, we talked about what this idea of justified means, or righteousness, another term for it. We'll talk a little bit more about it today. And we talked about the blood of Christ, the payment that was paid so that we can have access into the throne room of God, so that we can be reconciled to God. But today, we're going to talk about faith, saving faith. So what is this saving faith that connects us to God? Now, Paul twice contradicts or, or contrast, doesn't contradict, but contrast faith with boasting twice. If you got your Bibles open, Romans 3.27 and then 4.2. 
So Paul is defining saving faith by contrasting it with boasting. The word boasting here that he's using is the Greek word which means rejoicing or glorifying. So the opposite of boasting is, is faith, which really faith is boasting in Christ. And our kind of boasting would be we boast in, our, in ourselves. So we all boast. We are what we boast about. We are what we boast in. In fact, if you were to have enough uh, emotional intelligence to begin to think about what you brag about, what you boast in, it would tell you a lot about your heart, the treasures of your heart, the things that are most important to you. So we are what we boast about or boast in. Now, here's where we're going with our study. What saving faith isn't, so it's not boasting in our work. What saving faith is, it's boasting in Christ's work and then how to boast in Christ's work so that we can win life's battles. That's where we're going with our study this morning. Let's first pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment once again and go before the throne of grace. Father, we are delighted to be here today. We love your presence. There's nothing we enjoy more than hanging out with our friends and spending time with you and growing in our, our understanding of you and the grace and the knowledge of who you are and what you want to do in our lives. We know that life is a battle, but whatever the capacity there is for human sin and suffering, the gospel gives us a greater capacity for healing and wholeness through saving faith in Christ Jesus. Teach us what this saving faith isn't and what it is and how we can move out into life's battles with confidence and overcoming power for our joy and your glory in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. amen. So what saving faith isn't, it isn't boasting in our work. And I know our world uses this kind of idea a lot, like you got to believe in yourself. I mean, I kind of get it. They're just trying to build someone's confidence. But don't believe in yourself. Believe in Christ. We're going to eventually get there. But believing in yourself is really more about pride, as you will see as we walk through this. It's probably, you don't want to, you don't want to believe in yourself like the world is telling us to believe in ourselves. Look at uh, the first two verses of our text, fourth chapter of Romans, verses 1 and 2. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, going all the way back to the Old Testament, father of our faith, what did he gain? Our forefather according to the flesh, according to his efforts, according to his work, according to what he would do. For if Abraham was justified, in other words, he was made right, was reconciled to God, had a right relationship with God by works, by his efforts, in other words, he earned it or he achieved it, well, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. Because we all know that you can't achieve your right standing with God. It's not achieved, it's received by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And so what saving faith isn't, it, it isn't boasting in our work. Romans 3.27 also makes that clear, using the word boasting. Boasting in our work is excluded by faith. I, I put this uh, on your notes also just to show you so where we've been in our study through Romans. And all of us fall into one of two categories or someone, somewhere along the spectrum of being irreligious, uh, self-discovery, younger brother in the prodigal son story, 15th chapter of Luke, takes his inheritance and goes out and does some wild, crazy living. So we kind of fit into that category. I can, I can, and it's, it's a, it's a self-salvation project, so to speak. It's like, I'm going to find life on my own. 
And you've got that, that extreme. You've got the other extreme, which is religion, where I'm, so I'm going to break all the rules or I'll make up my own rules, or the other one is I'm going to keep all the rules, moral conformity, the religious. And so neither are really represent the gospel. The gospel would be the third way to live, and we've talked extensively about that in our past studies. But Romans 1.22 talks about irreligious boasting. You can study that on your own. Romans 2, 17 through 23, religious boasting. But whether it's irreligious or religious boasting, we boast to create a self-esteem resume to desperately fill our sense of inadequacy and emptiness. And that's, that's because we're, we feel inadequate and empty because we were meant to walk in the garden in the cool of the day, look into the face of our maker and receive all the glory that we would ever need to have our hearts, our souls filled up with all the significance, security, love, purpose, meaning, happiness we'd ever need in God. We rebelled against God, separated us from God, emptied us of His glory, and therefore it makes us desperate to fill our hearts up with glory. That's why, why we boast. It's what's wrong with the human heart. That's your next fill in the blank. So we could say, in essence, sin is uh, boasting in myself. It's pride. It's this uh, desperately trying to fill this sense of inadequacy and emptiness. We boast to create a self-esteem resume to desperately fill our sense of inadequacy and emptiness. Now, it's what's wrong with the human heart. Now, in the Old Testament book of Judges, chapter 7, Gideon is leading an Israelite army against the Midianites. How many are familiar with the story? Remember Gideon going against the Midianites? Gideon is saying to God, please help us defeat the Midianites. He says, God, please, we need your help. Now, this is quite interesting because God says to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. <laughs> what? No, we need more. We feel outnumbered. No, no, no. There are too many. For if I deliver the Midianites into your hands, Israel will boast, there's the word, boast against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, right there is the very essence of our problem. It's called pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride comes before a fall. 1 Peter 5, 5, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Believe me, you do not want God to oppose you. Pride will get God to oppose you. Humility, you got his favor. And that's what he was, uh, that's what God warned them of. Boasting in our work, in ourselves, is the language of our fallen self-centeredness. So when you hear someone boasting, it's because they're trying to fill up an emptiness inside. See, this is what's wrong with the human heart. We try to build our identity around something besides God. It's all about trying to build our identity around something besides God. We use our beauty. We use our brains. It's our bucks, how much money, my cars, my homes, whatever it might be. It's my brawn, my athleticism. Look at me. Look at how great I am. So we can use any number of those things. And we may not say this uh, to ourselves consciously, but I know at least subconsciously, this is what's going on when we try to build our identity around something besides God. And it's, like I said, it's any number of these things, brains, bucks, brawn, beauty, whatever it might be. 
we're saying to ourselves, this is why I'm worthy of love and acceptance. Now, we might not say that to anybody, but the way that we're living our life and we kind of boast in, in these things in our life that are really important to us, it's because, hey, I'm a, I'm a valuable person because look what I have, look what I've achieved, look what I've accomplished, any number of things like that. It's, it's boasting in our work, in ourselves. It is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, achieve our own sense of self-worth, and find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. That is delusional. And we see that happening in our culture today. And it is, here's the next fill in the blank, it is taking credit for what is a gift from God. It's taking credit for what is a gift from God. I need to, I need to break the news to you here, okay, that everything you have is a gift from God. Okay. Uh, you're the first service I actually said that to. I, mean, I kind of talked about it in the first couple of services, but I just want to really emphasize that. I think it's really important for us to understand. Most people don't know that. Most people don't understand that, that everything we have, all the way from being knit together in our mother's womb, Psalm 139, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, our unique, one-of-a-kind, original shape, spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and even after that, our life experiences are all God-given. And, and then also, our salvation and our service, our ability to make an impact in other people's lives is, is uh, God-given. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So I did watch the Super Bowl. My team didn't win. I was actually going for the, the Eagles. I thought they would, they would win, Philadelphia Eagles. And, um, and so at the end of the game, I had to turn it off because there was so much boasting. And it was just like, good night. And, and I won't tell you who it was, but man... Um, one of the Kelsey brothers was, uh, <laughs> was so full of himself at the end of the game. I just click up. I'll turn that off. I don't need that. And he was just like blowing all kinds of smoke. And I was thinking to myself, I got this guy is clueless. He doesn't understand that his ability to play at that level. By the way, what makes a world-class athlete is, is DNA. Thank you very much, God, because that comes from God, so that he should be able to say, hey, I got DNA. He's a tight end. He's big. He's strong. And, and I don't think he understands that that came from God. DNA, desire. So you got DNA, desire, and then really good training, which, by the way, that really all comes from God, even a, a desire, that you would have a desire to even want to go in that direction. Uh, I think Patrick Mahomes is, is a phenomenal quarterback. And yet, I still don't think a lot of these guys understand that you weren't given that gifting to make much of you so that everybody could think you're all that wonderful and great. Because we all know, as it says here, for who sees anything different in you and what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? We all know better. That's DNA, desire, a lot of good training. Ah, oh, that was a gift from God. And what I find interesting is whether it be rock stars, movie stars, athletic stars, how few of them know that 
and are actually performing to justify themselves rather than because they're already justified in who God made them to be. Does that make sense? Okay. And so that's the reason why I shared with you the chariots of fire uh, quote last weekend of the Great Britain Olympic team, 1924. This movie came out in 1981. Harold Abrahams and Eric Little made that contrast between the two because Harold Abrahams in that movie said, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. He was running to justify himself. His DNA desire training, he did all of that, didn't realize it came from God to make much of him for his own glory, as opposed to Eric Little, who was a believer, ran not for his glory, but for God's glory, because he said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. So it's not about me. I'm just thankful I can run fast. I find a lot of pleasure in that, but I give glory and honor to God. All of us, everything we have is a gift from God. How are you using that? Are you bragging? You think you're something special? Because of that, well, that was given to you, and God gave it to you for a reason, not to make much of you, but for you to make much of Him, to bring glory to Him. And what happens when we confuse that, here's some things that happen, is that when we try to build our identity around something besides God, success inflates, failure deflates. That's your next couple fill in the blanks. So success goes to your head and failure goes to your heart. And in fact, praise will inflate you, criticism will deflate you. So if you listen to when people praise you and it kind of inflates you, beware, because if they criticize you in that same area that they're praising you in, it's just a matter of time, you're going to be deflated. So it's evident that because you're riding that roller coaster, that's something that's really, really important to you. Maybe you have a misplaced identity in that. I, I, I remember the early years of Desert Breeze. We were at the nightclub over here off of 17th Avenue and Bell Road. I was coming home from a, um, a board meeting, one of our elders' meetings. I was high as a kite and uh, not uh, like... <laughs> I was celebrating... Okay, that's what I meant by that. I was celebrating the fact that our finances were up, our attendance was up, the church was really going well, and the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, and I started looking at my heart towards God as opposed to my heart towards the success of ministry, and my feelings for ministry success was much higher. I felt inflated by it. And then when we weren't doing well, I would go low. He's saying, no, 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 no. And I was reminded, it was a verse that I shared with you last weekend, was uh, 1020 of Luke, where the disciples come back from their ministry trip, and they're all excited. Woo, look at us. We're seeing, you know, people's lives set free. We cast out demons. We're doing all this great stuff. And, got, and Jesus said, hey, don't boast in your ministry success. Boast in the fact that your name is written in the book of life, because that's better by far. <laughs> and so the Holy Spirit convicted me of that. And I found myself kind of riding that roller coaster a little bit. So when our church was doing well. I was doing well. When it wasn't doing so well, I wasn't doing so well. And of course, my wife would come alongside and say, oh, come on, you should need to have faith. This is God's church anyway. Come on, suck it up, Pastor Ray. Uh, you know, you should need to have more faith. And I go, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I, I've kind of misplaced it. I'm putting it in ministry success as opposed to Christ. And then, of course, Nancy would ride the roller coaster that she would go through highs and lows based on how our kids and grandkids were doing. 
And of course, I come alongside and said, hey, uh, Sister Nancy, you need to just suck it up. You need to suck it up. You just need to have faith. You need to have faith like me. I have faith in our kids. I know our kids are going to turn out okay. They're gonna, everything's going to be okay, okay? Well, both of us had misplaced our identity. And so you could see the highs and lows of our life based on what, how we were trying to build our identity around something other than, than God. So it tends to inflate us or it deflates us. C.S. Lewis says this, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. So there was that tendency, I would get together with other pastors, and there was that tendency around those events, and I didn't like them because there's all these pastors comparing their churches with each other. It's like, that's ridiculous. That's dumb. That's totally stupid. And I started trying to figure that out. I was like, why, why would we fall prey to that? That's just crazy pride. But that's how pride works. And so when my ultimate boast is in something I do or have, it doesn't unite me with others. It actually brings division. If the ultimate boast of my soul, my identity and significance, is that I'm a hardworking person, I'm a hardworking person, I, I do have a strong work ethic, and if, I, if, if that's my ultimate boast, I'll inevitably look down on lazy people. You can't help but do that. I'm just like, wow, oh, they're just lazy. If the ultimate boast of my soul is that I'm a moral person and we have right doctrine and I read my Bible and pray, then I'm going to feel superior to immoral people who don't read their Bible and don't pray and don't have good doctrine. You see, that doesn't unite, it divides. You can see that. That's pride working. If the ultimate boast of my soul is that I'm a member of this political party or cause, I'm going to naturally demonize those who aren't. If my ultimate boast is that I'm a part of this great race, ethnic group, nationality, I will naturally look down on other races, ethnic groups, and nationalities. So it, it's going to, it divides, pride divides rather than unites. So, so you can be a hardworking, moral, and proud of your political party or race, but when it's the ultimate boast of the soul, then you're going to marginalize, demonize, ostracize certain races, classes, political parties, people groups. That's just a, that's a fact. So here's the next one too. So here's what's happening when, we're, when we boast in, in our works and who we are, what we do, what we've accomplished. Pride is driven, defensive, scornful, and self-absorbed. This is how I've been able to identify it in my own life because I, I do not want to fall prey to that. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So I want to get out of that idea of pride. So it's driven. You're so driven you can't say no to things. You have no boundaries. You become a workaholic. You're perfectionists. That's pride. You're defensive. You can't take criticism. People criticize something that's important to you. You're going to push back. You're going to be mad. You're going to be angry. You're going to be scornful. You're going to be very self-righteous, judgmental, and critical. By the way, beware of a lot of these podcasters. I call them armchair quarterback Christians who want to criticize and demean every church and every organization out there. They're, they don't actually, they're not helpful in helping you to become discerning. They're actually helping you to become an elder brother. You're becoming self-righteous, holier than thou, and uh, very judgmental. There's so much judgmentalism, and we live in a cancel culture today. Just beware of that. 
I found myself falling prey to that because if I could, if I could hammer the church down the street, it makes me feel a little better, which is, that's a false sense of security. <laughs> that's stupidity. That's just dumb. If there's something wrong with the church down the street, I should hit my knees and be praying for them and not criticizing them. I should be reaching out to them to see if I could help them. It's like, how dare I think I've set myself up like I'm bigger, better than everybody else. That's pride. We live in a culture today of scornfulness. I mean, a lot of the news programs out there are just scorning the other side. It's all about scorn. I'm telling you what, that's, that's toxic, and that'll, that'll rip you apart over time. You'll begin to cop an attitude of scornfulness. That's pride. And then, of course, self, self-absorbed. This is the endless, unsmiling concentration on self. It's all about my needs, my desires, my ego, my record. Here's the next one. By the way, that's a horrible way to live, just self-absorbed. That's a miserable way to live. Endless, unsmiling concentration on self. So superiority, inferiority. Next couple fill in the blanks. Superiority, boasting, inferiority, self-pity are two sides of the same uh, coin called pride. So boasting, superiority complex says, I deserve admiration because of how much I have achieved or how much I have accomplished. Self-pity you probably didn't know that this was pride too, but self-pity, which is an inferiority complex, says, I deserve admiration because of how much I've suffered. And so you can kind of see those are the two sides of the same coin. Now, helping a person out of an inferiority into a superiority complex keeps them stuck. That's your next fill in the blank. Let me, let me rephrase that. Helping a wounded person out of an inferiority complex into a superiority complex by telling them to look out for number one keeps them stuck in their self-absorption, in their pride. You need to believe in yourself. Look out for number one. Come on. Uh, That keeps them trapped. That's our problem, is pride, self-centeredness, self-absorption. And so, a humble person isn't someone who's always telling you that they're a nobody, but it is someone who is contagiously content in Christ, contagiously content in Christ and incredibly interested in the well-being of others. So a couple of statements there on your notes. A humble person is too busy looking up at God's glory to look down on others or to feel smug about themselves. So I'm just, it, it's evident when we fill ourselves up with pride, it's evident, man, it's been a while since you've had a good glimpse of God's glory because I'm telling you, His glory is out of this world. It's beautiful. It's breathtaking. It's overwhelming. And you begin to understand his glory and and what he thinks and feels about you. That will fill you up. That's where we're going with this saving faith. So pride is an inner emptiness. Humility is an inner fullness. So God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So what saving faith is, and it's not boasting in our work. What saving faith is, it's boasting in Christ's work. It's based on verses 3 through 6. Look at verse 3 if you have your Bibles open. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, Paul is quoting Genesis 15, 6. This is where Abraham, the father of our faith, put his faith in God. You could say he became a Christian before Christ, but this is how he was entered into a relationship with God. 
And um, so there's three key words here that help us to understand what saving faith is. Believed, Abraham believed God, and it was counted, that's the next word, and then the third word is righteousness. But here's your next fill in the blank. This is how everyone is saved in both Old and New Testament. Oftentimes people have said, well, how do Old Testament people get saved? The same way we get saved. They put their faith in God. They didn't have the understanding of, a, of uh, Jesus. They looked ahead, we looked back. But we know that based on Romans chapter 4. He's just saying this. This is how Abraham got saved. And then you've got Hebrews 11, which is the faith chapter, a whole list of Old Testament characters who put their faith in God. Now, so boasting in Christ, what does that look like? What is saving faith? Believed it is, here's your next fill in the blank. It is a trust transfer from our work to Christ's work. So I transfer my trust from my performance and record to Christ's performance and record. So it's not about me trying to achieve a right standing with God. It's, my life's not about me making much of me. It's my life's about making much of God, living, living for His glory. So salvation is not achieved, but it's received by grace through faith in Christ's finished work on our behalf. I mean, that's, that in itself is a phenomenal idea that's contrary to every major cult and religion of our world today. Every other major cult and religion of our day, you probably hear me say this every week, it's a works righteousness. You achieve it by a standard of rules or regulations or ethics or whatever it might be. That's not Christianity. So I transfer my trust from my performance and record to Christ's performance and record. It's not achieved, it's received. So everything that is true of Christ is legally and objectively true of, of, of you. So when you put your faith in Christ, everything that is true of him is now legally and objectively true of you. Jesus lived the life I should have lived, died the death I should have died in my place for my sins. It's called substitutionary atonement. Atonement is a big word, just means that uh, intimacy with God. He's, he's reconciled us. He's made us at one with God. We have access into the throne room of God now. So my sin has separated me from God for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Wages of sin is death, separation from God. There's not a thing I could do about it. I could not bridge that gap that would reunite me to God. But God, but the gospel is the good news that God has reconciled us to himself by sending his son to die in our place for our sins. Substitutionary atonement. And all who repent and believe in him have everlasting life. So substitutionary atonement. So when we, we will do another baptism party on Easter weekend, and so when we baptize people, what they're doing is they're identifying with the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're just saying, what he did, he did for me. All my sin was placed on him on the cross. I received all of his righteousness, all of his justification. That's what that means. It is a transfer, trust transfer from my, from our work to Christ's work, substitutionary atonement. Now, here's the next word, counted. So what happens when I do that? Counted. The word is used 10 times in this chapter, pretty phenomenal word. And so Abraham believed God and it was counted 10 times. And this is what it means. We are regarded by God as holy and perfect though at the same time we are unholy and imperfect. 
Look at verse 5 if you have your Bibles open there, fourth chapter of Romans. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. We're the ungodly, so he justifies us. His faith is counted, there's that word, as righteousness. So the word counted, other translations might use accredited. It, it is an accounting term. So to credit something is to confer a status that was not there before. And so you had no money in your bank account, but if someone accredited a million dollars as a gift to your account, it's now yours to spend. How many would like to have someone do that for you this morning? Okay, I would like that. I, I would appreciate that. Anybody want to take me up on that offer? Okay, anybody have a, a million dollars? Anybody have ten dollars? Anybody have, anybody have five dollars? I can buy coffee after service. Okay, okay. So, so you didn't have any money in your bank. So you're spiritually bankrupt. And so all that was placed on Christ, and now you're spiritually wealthy. That's, that's the idea here. So, so what does that look like? Hosea chapters 1 through 3. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the prophet Hosea, who represents Christ, buys a prostitute who represents us from the slave market to be his cherished bride. That's, that's the picture of our salvation. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery, and uh, Jesus walks up to her and says, uh, where are your accusers? Because they all walked out one by one after he said, he is without sin, throw the first stone. They all walk out. He walks up to her and says, uh, he is without sin. Uh, he, he walks up to her and says, where are your accusers? And she says, I have none. And then anybody remember what Jesus said to her at that point? He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I, I've always been blown away by that statement. Once again, he did say, go and get your act together, and then I won't condemn you. Go and sin no more, and then I may not condemn you. No, I, I don't condemn you. You're not condemned. Go and sin no more. In Christianity, the verdict comes before the performance, always. That's, that's, I mean, just meditate on that just for a little bit. The, the verdict comes before the performance. So, so you have, through Christ, and it's called an imputed or positional righteousness, righteousness, right standing with God, have a relationship with God. It's imputed, it's gifted to you, it's positional, and that should lead to what would be classified as an imparted or practical righteousness. That would be your performance from that point on. And so our performance isn't the basis of His love for us. Our performance, okay, you had a bad day. Okay, you flipped the guy off, cut you off on the freeway. That's, that, you probably shouldn't do that, especially with that DB window sticker on your car. <laughs> Oh, gee, I don't want to get any phone calls on that, but probably shouldn't have done that. But you know what? You still have access to the throne room of God. Run into his arms, confess, and come back to him. I mean, work, work on that. Work, keep coming back to him. Our performance isn't the basis of his love for us. I, I don't know how many times I've had people say, well, you know, I had a horrible week. I probably shouldn't even come to church. What? So you're telling me the basis of your relationship 
is not, it's not on Christ's performance, it's on your performance. So when you're flying high and you're doing good, woohoo! you can have access to the throne room of God. Sounds like you're earning it. Sounds like you're boasting in your own works. Sounds like you're all messed up. I don't think you understand the gospel. I think that's really unhealthy. So our performance isn't the basis of his love for us. His love for us is the basis of our performance. So when my performance is all jacked up, I go back to his love. I go, uh, I am not living in a manner that's consistent with someone that's deeply loved by the God of the galaxies. I'm acting really crazy right now. I'm just saying some really stupid stuff. Or I should have not said that. I shouldn't have been thinking that. I should not. You know, and I come back and I go, God, I, I, evidently I got a lot of turmoil going on in my heart. I need your love. His love for us is the basis of our performance. We are not saved by the love we exercise, but by the love we trust. And oh my goodness, he has this amazing love for us. And in fact, the next word is righteousness. So believed, so Abraham believed God. So transfer, trust transfer from our work to Christ's work. And it was counted we are regarded as we are regarded by God as holy and perfect, though at the same time we are unholy and imperfect. And none of this righteousness. We talked about it extent quite a bit at length last uh, week, righteousness. We're going to talk a little bit more here. It is having the praise and applause of God. So 2 Corinthians 5:21, God made him who no, knew no sin to be to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So this is more than pardon. Had someone come up to me last week, and, and I, I've used this before too, and I've heard people say this: oh, justification, just as if we've never sinned. Yes, but it's more than that. It's more than just pardon. It's more than just forgiveness of sins. He just cleared the junk that was in between us and God, our sinfulness, and now it's not just pardon, but it's the privilege of the most amazing relationship you'll ever have with, with the creator of the universe, that you become his child, his dearly loved child, that he, he loves you and he adores you. There's a couple places in the gospel accounts where the Father in heaven speaks words of of praise and applause over his son, Jesus. One is at Jesus' baptism. The other is on the Mount of Transfiguration. Anybody remember what those words are spoken to Jesus? Anybody? You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Sounds like he's praising and applauding him. And yes, he is. That's exactly what he's doing. Now, remember what we said, everything that is true of Christ is legally and objectively true of you. And in fact, Jesus confirmed that in John 17, 22, when he was praying to his Father, he said, the glory you, Father, have given to me, I have given to them. So all I'm saying is that your validating performance record, as we talked a couple weeks ago, your resume that opens doors, is your Father in heaven speaking this into your soul, into your heart. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. So that's normal Christianity to begin to hear that praise and applause of God. So, so let me ask you this question. When you spend time with God, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And so 
I love spending time with God. Favorite thing I do every morning, first thing throughout the day. I can't get enough. I can't spend enough time with Him. I absolutely love it. I love studying His Word. I love praying. It just it fills me up. I'm desperate for that. So when you do it, how do you imagine or how do you see His, uh, his disposition, His facial expression, His eye contact, His tone of voice, and His body language towards you? How do you see God? I mean, I, I understand some of you are going to say, hey, wait, 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 John 4, 24, God is spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. I got that. But we also know Colossians 1, 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So you kind of get an idea that Jesus had a disposition. He had eye contact. He had an attitude, you know, uh, kind of a facial expression and, and tone of voice and, and all of that. So how do you see God when you interact with him? Because you see, your concept of God determines the quality of your relationship with God. So if I were talking to you right now and you're not all fired up about God, it's probably because you have a real low concept of God. It's probably not consistent with this idea of trust, transfer, he sees you, he regards you as holy and perfect, oh, and you have his praise and applause. Because if you did, <laughs> nothing would keep you from him. You'd be running into his presence regularly, enjoying him, experiencing him. So, so let me ask you this, on a scale from one to 10, do you see God as cold and condemning, that would be one, all the way to a 10, warm and welcoming. I hope so. I pray so. Because if you do, oh my goodness. See, here's what he's wanting us to understand. This is what righteousness is. It's more than just, it's more than just acceptance. It's more than acceptance. You are not just accepted, but you are celebrated by a perfect father. You are celebrated. I, uh, I was fortunate. My, my grandpa, Ford, who was a pastor, somebody who got pastor in Flagstaff, and I would go up and got a chance to spend my summers up there with him, and he'd take me fishing and hunting. And I can tell you, I can almost still see in my heart, my mind, he would celebrate me when I saw him. He loved me. He adored me. Not so much my other cousins, but just me. And uh, I'm kidding. They, he, he celebrated them all. He, he was just a really happy, upbeat, positive. And my grandma, too. My grandma, too. And I was very thankful because I had a mom and dad that loved and celebrated me, too. My mom, even to this day, I'm, a, I'm an old guy, and uh, she, she, she continues to celebrate me. I can never preach a bad message. So if I feel real bad about the message, go talk to my mom. Because that was, that was wonderful. I know it wasn't, but thank you anyway. Tell me more. <laughs> so there's this, so if you didn't, if you weren't raised in a background where you were celebrated, you're going to maybe have a hard time seeing the God of the galaxies celebrating you. He loves you. He adores you. He enjoys you. He finds pleasure in you. There is never a moment in your life when you are not an object of his undivided attention, unconditional affection, unlimited action, working for your best interest. He loves all of us as if there's only one of us. 
Is that crazy? Uh, there's a couple verses here. I didn't put them on your notes, but Numbers 6, 24 through 26 kind of validate this idea. It's the Aaronic uh, blessing that oftentimes you'd hear us do at the end of our communion time. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Do you hear what he's saying? His countenance? So when he talks about his face, it's talking about the presence of God. He's radiating. He enjoys you. He's engaging with you. He loves you. I try to do that with my grandkids when my grandkids come over. And I've, I, 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 I try to do that with my kids too. Man, woohoo! Glad you're here. Come on in here. We do that with the grandkids, and if we have to watch them for a couple days, then I'm celebrating when they're leaving. And uh, it's like, woohoo! I'm glad you have to go now, but uh, I'll celebrate the next time you come back over. Just don't stay so long next time, okay? Uh, but you guys know what I mean. It's just like you, you celebrate. You, you just, you, there's a smile on your face. That's what he's saying. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will comfort you with his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Wait a minute, is that, he's talking about God? He's going to sing over me? Yeah. We used to do that with our kids when they were young. We'd sing over them, and then they were, became teenagers, and they said, stop singing over us. <laughs> You're embarrassing us. I said, okay. And so that's, that's important. So everything that is true of Christ is legally and objectively true of you. But it must also be experientially and subjectively true. So if you're going to move out into the battle of life with confidence and to overcome, you need the praise and applause of God ringing in your soul. Nothing compares to the praise and the applause of God. I mean, I like the affirmation I get from my family and friends, but it doesn't come close to what I have in Him. And nothing will make you more unshakable and unoffendable and unstoppable. So how, how to boast in Christ's work. Now, we'll spend next week talking about the application of this faith. So we'll work the rest of this chapter. Like, how do we apply this to our lives? I'll just give you a couple things to do in the meantime. And the first thing is that you need to understand the costliness of grace. So this last part is based on verses 7 through 12 of our text. Understand the costliness of grace. So in verse 3, he's quoting Genesis 15, 6, when Abraham was saved. So let me give you Abraham's point of salvation, kind of the story that went down. It's a fascinating story here. In Genesis 12, God shows up, promises Abraham a fulfilling, fruitful relationship. And what I mean by that, he promises him land, which is would be fulfilling, and then lineage, that would be fruitfulness. And Genesis 15, Abraham says to God, God, you have been promising me all of this blessing, but how do I know I'm going to actually receive all of this blessing? So God says to Abraham, here's what I want you to do. Take a couple of animals and cut them in half and set them apart. So cut them down the middle, set them apart. And Abraham lived in an oral storytelling culture. They made contracts by acting them out. 
So this is what he's doing. He's acting out this contract. Cutting an animal in half and both parties walking between the pieces, in essence, was saying, if I don't fulfill my vow according to this contract, may I be cut up like this animal. Think we should go back to those kind of contracts? <laughs> uh, so it's interesting. So what's interesting about the story here is that if, if a king made a contract with a peasant, the king wasn't required to walk through the pieces. But the peasant was required to walk through the pieces. But what's fascinating between Abraham and God is who walks between the pieces and who doesn't walk between the pieces. And a smoking fire part and a blazing torch represented God's presence. And what you see here is absolutely breathtaking. This is a one-sided covenant God is saying, I'll be torn apart if I fail, and I'll be torn apart if you fail. And we did fail, and he was torn apart on the cross for you and I. And that was a picture of the cross, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for we know the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that we could cry out, Abba, Father. He was rejected so that we would be forever accepted. That's why Paul says in Galatians 6, 14, may I never boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ through whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. This world has nothing I want more than Christ and therefore has no power over me is really what he's saying. The power of the world's broken on me because what I have in him is better by far. So understand the costliness of grace and then practice appropriate trash talking. Woohoo! Here we go. Boasting, a.k.a. preaching the gospel to yourself. And you get a little bit of that in verses 7 through 8. He's saying, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man. Blessed means total fulfillment, complete well-being. Is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Tells us in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he knows God. So he's just saying, you know what? You know the, all the rock stars and movie stars and athletic stars, the wealthiest, the wisest, the strongest people on the planet have nothing on those who know God. When you understand what you have in God, that's, that's nothing. That's what he's saying. So boast in God. read a story of a beautiful young woman who found herself trapped in a cycle of abusive relationships with men. And at first she used her beauty to manip manipulate men, and eventually they used it to manipulate her. And it was because she believed that her justification, her righteousness in life came from the praise and applause of men rather than from God. And so she's trying to work through this. She went to a counselor who rightly pointed out to her that she had been looking to men for her identity. And so the counselor proposed that she get a career and become financially independent as a way of building up her self-esteem. And she agreed wholeheartedly that she needed to stand on her own two feet economically, but resisted that advice about uh, the advice about her self-esteem because she said, I was being advised to give up a common female idol and take up a common male idol. She didn't want her identity dependent upon her career success any more than on men. 
So this is how she got her life back. Interesting story, fascinating story. When she understood the gospel, she came to realize that neither, neither men nor career nor anything else can give her the love, the security, the significance that only Christ can give her. So when she saw a man who was interested in her, she would silently say in her heart toward him, you may turn out to be a great guy and maybe even my husband, but you can never be my life. Only Christ is my life. And she said that silently. She had learned the art of practicing appropriate trash talking, boasting, and, and this gave her the ability to set boundaries, make good choices, and eventually love a man for himself rather than to use men to build her self-image. That's a beautiful picture of what we have to do. You need to be in touch with those things that you tend to boast about, that you're trying to get your sense of identity from rather than Christ. And when those things raise their ugly head, you need to say, you're not my life, whether it be your marriage or your kids or your career, or your money, or any number of things. You're not my life. Christ is my life. He's my life. He's the one I live for. He's where I find my identity, my security, my significance, my love. And so saving faith isn't boasting in your work. When you do, it's going to lead to either pride or despair based on how well you're doing. Saving faith is boasting in Christ's work. That's going to bring about a humble confidence. And so we've got to learn to boast in Christ's work. And when you learn to boast in Christ's work, you'll be able to move out into the battle of life with confidence and overcome the insurmountable odds. And that's, that's the anatomy of faith. Next weekend, the application of faith, Romans 4, 13 through 25. I'll be up front at the end of the service along with any available elders and leaders. If you're new, we'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, love to pray with you. If you have any questions, we'd love to answer those questions for you. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So, Father God, we thank you for this remarkable insight into the anatomy of what saving faith is and the nature of our salvation. I pray for those this morning that need to make a confession of faith in you, that they would turn their lives over to you, that they'd acknowledge their sin that separates them from you. They would believe that you died in their place for their sins and confess you as their Savior and Lord. We are so thankful that we are justified freely by faith through the blood of Christ. This saving faith is not just a legal standing. It's your praise and your thunderous applause. We see faith as not just some kind of general belief. It's a trust transfer from our work to Christ's work, a boasting in the cross. It's a regrounding of our identity so that the world no longer can push us around and we can win life's battles. May we never boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ to whom the world is crucified to us and us to the world. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. amen. I love you guys.